Good morning. Uh, I get the honors again this week of introducing our guest speaker. Uh, I've sat and tried to figure out how I wanted to introduce this young man. Uh, a few years ago, uh, Neil, when he came, tried to encourage and has encouraged our young men and older men and each of us that serve to step out of our comfort zones and to hone our talents uh, to become better servants and be able to speak and teach. Uh, this young man uh, graduated in 1975 from Sun Sunset School of Preaching. He has a lovely wife, Debbie. He has uh, two children. i got to get this right. Five, what did you say? Wonderful grandchildren. Uh, he works as a, a RN for his uh, occupation, and he's done that for, for 30 years. Uh, most of us already know him. Uh, we're in for a treat. Uh, Gary Bratcher. Let's bow and go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you, thanking you for the many talents that you give us. Thank you for the talents that you give Gary. We pray that you'd be with him the next hour that he speaks, that uh, you'll give him courage, that you'll give him strength, that you will help him overcome the nervousness that uh, he has, that you'll be able to give him a ready recollection of what he studied and prepared for us. Please be with us as listeners, that you will open our hearts, that you will help us to listen and glean the message that he has prepared for us and apply it to our lives. Father, we thank you for Gary and thank you for his willingness to, to serve and to, to lead us in worship today. Father, we pray that you will uh, continue to bless him and his family. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Gary. Well, when he said an hour-long sermon, that's not what it will be. I can assure you. First of all, I want to thank our visitors. We appreciate you being here. And I just want you to know that if you have any questions regarding our beliefs, what we believe, why we believe, then be sure and ask one of our members. And that way we can maybe explain why we believe what we believe. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15... Peter writes, but sanctify in your heart Christ the Lord. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that lies within you. Do it with meekness and with fear. Our whole aim is to follow the Bible. That's what it's all about. We believe the book came from God. We also believe that he gave us the book that we might know how we ought to live. Second Peter tells us in verse, excuse me, in chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is a private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> we have probably close to 40 writers of the Bible. But 
they weren't the author of that Bible. God was. And that brings us to what Paul said in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. He says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfectly, thoroughly furnished unto every good works. Now listen to what Paul is saying and telling Timothy. He says, all scripture. Now we know that when he wrote this, they had the Old Testament. So that's, that's what he's referring to. But you can rest assured that the New Testament is just inspired. The American Standard Version uses the word every instead of all. Every scripture is given by inspiration of God. The NIV uses the thought of God breathed. And again, the whole point is that this book, the Bible, didn't come from men. It came from God. Let's take a few minutes and break this down. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Okay? It it is for profitable, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for righteousness. Instruction in righteousness. Now let's think about it. He says it's profitable. That means it's of great value. The word of God is valuable to us. Think about it. What do we know about Jesus without the Bible? If we didn't have the Gospels to tell us about the life of Jesus and how he lived and how he gave himself for us, what would we know about Jesus? Because outside the Bible, there's not a whole lot about Jesus. We know that there was a man named Jesus and that he was crucified on the cross. So it's of great value. It's profitable in Paul makes four points here. It's profitable in doctrine, or others use profitable for teaching. So when we have a question about our faith, or any type of question regarding religion, our source shouldn't be to go to someone, but we should be following the Bible. We should be going toward Jesus, looking at the Bible to find the answer. And I know a lot of religious organizations will have their creeds, they'll meet and decide on a policy. But that's not what we're supposed to do. If this book came from God, then it's God that we must listen to. It doesn't matter what society says today, and you know society's getting way off course in a lot of our beliefs that we know to be true in the Bible. They're saying it's not true anymore, but we know it to be because we know this book came from God. So like I said, we have no creed, we have no practice, except that which is found in the Bible. We want to follow God, and God has given us a book to show us how to live and how to conduct ourselves. The second thing Paul points out is that it is for reproof. Now there's two thoughts that come here. One says for reproof, it's proving things that are not seen. 
We know in Hebrews 11, verse 1, Now faith is confident in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. We all remember in chapter 20 of John where Jesus has already died. He's already been risen from the grave. And he's appeared to his apostles several times. But apparently, poor old Thomas has not been there. And Thomas makes the statement in John 20, verse 27, that he didn't believe. And Jesus said to Thomas in verse 27, Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out and put in my side, put your hand into my side. Stop doubting and believe. A little bit further down, Jesus goes on to say, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those that have not seen me, yet have believed. And then the next verse, John tells us in verse, excuse me, in the next, excuse me, that was correct, the next verse, verse 30 and 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus do in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. These are written that you might believe and that you might have life in his name. Now, the other thought that some other commentators had is that reproof, and I think this is probably more correct, is that it is the act of exposing or rebuking error or sin. The scriptures reprove us by showing us what we have gone astray from God's standard and command. They also reprove us by warning of us of the consequences of disobedience and unbelief. The scriptures are ultimate authority, judge for all matters of faith and of practice. Again, it's the Bible. The third thing Paul says that it's these scriptures are profitable for is for correction and that is the setting of a person or thing straight and of course it's based on the Bible you remember in Acts 17 verse 11 where Paul says the Bereans that they were more noble in Thessalonica, than those in Thessalonica in that they believed the word would be all they would excuse me they would receive the word with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily to see what those things were being said were true or not. That such things is absolute truth. John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this brings uh, kind of a point that I have a hard time understanding. We all understand that 2 plus 2 is 4. But when it comes to religious matters, it doesn't seem to matter what we believe. That's what the world wants us to believe. But we know that all can't be true, because truth is truth. If there is no absolute truth, then there really is no truth. Some religious organizations will say, you have to do this. Other organizations will say, you have to do that. We have to do what the Bible says. That's what God would have us to do. He sent his son to die on the cross for us, and he left us this book. And we're to follow the book. The third thing that Paul brings out in this verse is that it's for correction. Excuse me, I've already said that. Uh, the fourth thing is for instruction in righteousness or training in righteousness. 
In other words, it instructs us in godly living, and it can be found in the scriptures. You remember the phrase, the righteous shall live with faith? Hebrews 11.1 states that, excuse me, let me back up a minute. Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. It's the chapter where we t- he talks about Abraham, he talks about Noah, how that they were counted righteous, not because of what they did, but because they did what he was told to do. And we must be we must remember that Hebrews eleven six says that but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Remember James when he says faith without works is dead. We use the inspired word of God for the reasons for these reasons. But the question comes as to why would we use this? Well, verse 17 gives us the answer. So that the servant of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, we don't need anything else. We just need the Bible. And we need to follow it. If you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul says... And he made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the powers of the hour, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, on whom also we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But get this now, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. When we were dead in, the, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved through faith. And raised us up together to make us to sit in the heavenly places. Where? In Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come... He might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us again in Christ Jesus. And of course we know verse 8. For grace have you been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works should any man boast. Get to verse 10. Listen to this. For, and we've been saved by grace. What for? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So we are his workmanship, created where? Again, in Christ Jesus. For what reason? Well, he tells us it's for good works. Here's some examples of good works. Of course, the first thing I think of is, of course, telling others about Jesus. No one would argue that that is not a good word. James will tell us in James 1 verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction. We're to help those who are less fortunate than we are. Another one, which I didn't think about, but this uh, made a list 
where I was getting this information, attending worship services. But then I thought about it, that is a good work because it shows people that we do care about what the Lord says and we're willing to submit. Praying regularly is another example. Studying scripture. We all know 2 Timothy 2.15, show thyself approved, excuse me, study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So there's a right way to divide truth and a wrong way. In 2 Peter 3, verses 16 and 17, Peter tells them that there are some people that will twist the truth to their own destruction. And we've seen that in our lifetimes, how people can take the scriptures and make it out to be what they want, not what God wants. Another example of good works is giving generous from our financial resources. And we know this is good because the church uses the money to further the kingdom. And that's what we're all about. We're here to serve God and we're to serve our fellow man. Going on mission trips is another good work. And you might think, well, why do I have to go? You don't have to go far away. Just go out your back door. Go out your front door. Your next door neighbor. There's a mission field all around us. So always remember that. Again, caring for the poor. And as I've mentioned, loving our neighbor. I like this quote that this guy says. It's a biblical definition of good works. It's not merely good deeds. Biblical good works encompasses every aspect of our thinking and conduct before God. The Christian works are rooted in Christ. In the scriptures, we find that the word translated good means that which is naturally pleasing, that is, pleasing to God, that which is upright, and that which is honorable in his sight. Here's some other scriptures that I wrote down regarding good works. Colossians 3.17 Whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3.23 and 24. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that the Lord ye shall receive the war of the inheritance, for ye are servants of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our purpose in working is to glorify God. Matthew 5.16, where Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, said, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. John 15.8, This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And we all know Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Galatians 6.10. So then, when we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those that are of the household of faith. These verses show that God wants us to do everything with a grateful and obedient attitude.
as a way of honoring him and reflecting his character. He also promised to reward us and to help us in our endeavors. Doing things in God's name is not only a duty, but is also a privilege and a joy. If you haven't started your walk with Jesus, there are certain things that you must do. One is you must have faith. You must have faith in the word of God. Romans 10:17 tells us, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when we have that faith, we must believe. We must believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he died and was resurrected and now reigns in heaven. We must be willing to confess and repent. Luke 13:3 tells us that we have to repent. We have to turn away. It's a way of life. We go from serving ourselves to now our allegiance is to the Lord, Jesus. And then we talk about confession. Confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus says, if you won't confess me before men, I won't confess you before the Father. Then to be baptized. Galatians 3.27 tells us that baptism doth also now save us. Acts 2.38 when Peter preached that first gospel, the Jews were pricked in their hearts and they cried out. And Peter told them what to do. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And once you've done those things, that's just the beginning. It's not, you stop here, but it's just the beginning. Because we are told that we must be faithful unto death. It comes this time when we offer what we call the invitation. If you've not put on Christ, or if you have a need, please let that need be known as we now stand and sing. <laughs>